Hello everyone and welcome to The Kennel, a podcast about the team of the Mighty West, the Western Bulldogs. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am joined as always by Simon Smith. Simon, how are you going? Good, Josh. How are you? I'm, uh, I've been better. Um, obviously, the result of the game today against the uh, Greater Western Sydney Giants didn't go our way, but um, all in all, not a complete horrible negative. No, as we were just mentioning before we started here, it was, um, it was only a 25-point margin in the end, so considering you know, the amount of players we do have out and the experience of the players we have in, that's not a disaster, I suppose. Well, the, the game... The Giants, 15-8-98, the Dogs, 10-13-73, so a 25-point margin, which is not horrible. The Giants have been literally smashing teams up there. They've won. Um, they beat Hawthorne by 75 points. They've been yeah, almost winning by 100 points over the last couple of weeks. We went in there with really a team that was decimated, not that you would know by uh, hearing the commentary who did not want mention once um, any players that we happened to be missing, like we were playing out there with a full-strength team. Um, but to keep it to 25 points and to always feel like you're... Yeah, maybe a five percent chance, maybe a ten percent chance of winning. I think it's decent because they're going into the game and go, okay, no Boyd, no Redpath, you know who's a target up forward, who's playing down back. I thought we were going to get our asses kicked in a pretty significant manner, and it was looking like that in the first five minutes. But overall, I think to to rally and to get it back to that, it it proves a lot to me about the the resolve of this team and the way that we can move going forward and the the upside that everyone shows because we've got so many guys to come back as you touched on Simon exactly um, yeah and there was probably several times where they'd get up we'd, we'd think it back to say two to three goals they'd kick two or three four or five goal margin and we you know we wouldn't sort of let it go where it could easily blow out like the Wolfram game where it's a 70 or 80 point margin and it probably is testament to um, Luke Beveridge and the way you know the the contested possessions and all that sort of stuff. I mean, but William Pickham had nine tackles again. Dalhouse Liver didn't go as crazy as last week with his tackles, but it just proves that they can sort of stay in contest even though there's you know a significant amount of sort of many players out. Well, in the end, our team was actually younger than the team that the Giants was running out there, given that we had Morris, uh, not Morris, we had Boyd out, and we had no real experienced players in there aside from Morris. The overall average age of the team was younger than the, the, the Giants. Go through our goal kickers. We had John kick two, Dixon kick two, McLean kick two, and then Mitch Wallace, Lockie Hunter, Jake Stringer, and Tom Campbell each kicked one apiece out of our 10 goals. So not a massive return up forward. Our defense was still okay. Didn't yield 100 points to a team who has been fairly high-flying. So I think that's a, uh, that's a positive. But overall, it, it's a loss. We had a chance to push ourselves up into fourth spot with the loss from Geelong uh, across the weekend. But still, we're sitting in fifth. So in the end, we don't go up. We don't go down. We missed a bit of a chance to go up. But overall... Um, not a horrible result, Simon. Before we get further into it, I didn't mean to mention this last week in the podcast, um, and I'm going to do it today. It's a we don't have a sponsor of this podcast just yet, so if anyone's listening and wants to sponsor the podcast, hey, you are you can you know where to find us. But it's a, an event by someone organised by someone by the name of Aaron Mikolaf, and it's called Dancing Dogs at the Dancing Dog. It's an event he's running next week, Saturday, May the 28th. It's at 8:30 p.m. and it's being hosted at the Dancing Dog at 42 Albert Street in Footscray. What it is, I'll read his description here. He says, if you love the Bulldogs and you love live music and you love the idea of combining both or you head down to the Dancing Dog, it's going to feature a whole range of, of artists, Al Flex and Vision, the Asthmatics and Finch. Entry is free for Bulldogs members and it's $10 for non-members and there's prize giveaways for best dressed. So come dressed in your doggies gears. Gear. So just a, an event in Footscray to get Western Bulldogs people together and and listen to good music. And Aaron's organized this with these guys down at the Dancing Dog. And I said I'd give him a shout out on the podcast and I have. So Aaron, I hope you get a big turnout then. It looks like you've got a fair few people going down there. And uh, if I can, I will, uh, I'll head down there myself. So Dancing Dogs at the Dancing Dog. You can search that up on Facebook. Um, by expressions of freedom is the uh, the group that's, that's hosting that. So I do encourage people to check that out and get down and mingle with your fellow fellow Bulldog supporters. Now, Simon, you didn't know I was going to throw that plug in there. But let's get back to what we were talking about in this game. Um, let's, let's start, I think, with the players that came in this week. Kieran Collins. It was his first game for the club. He... Uh, he did a right preseason in the game against the Giants. He looked ready-made, but Marcus Adams is clearly overtaking him as our young big defender. What did you make of Collins's uh, first outing in the uh, in the big in the big team? 
yeah, it was pretty tough for him. Obviously, they they sort of went crazy in the sort of inside fifties in the first quarter, and obviously it was on Jeremy Cameron. He had three goals in the first ten to fifteen minutes, so it's not sort of the easiest way to start your career. But um, yeah, he, he, I mean, he only had four possessions, so obviously he's pretty nervous, and you know he wasn't trying to make too many mistakes. So it's um, it's a bit hard to gauge when you've got pretty much the rest of the back line sort of out. So you're you know in terms of the regular starting. Adam Suckling, Anderson, etc. Um, it puts a fair bit of pressure on him. So obviously Marcus Adams is available. He'll obviously probably take his spot. You imagine. So, but you know it's another deputant. I mean it's not going to hurt us, is it? So I mean, twelve deputants since Luke Berry just taken over is pretty impressive. Yeah, now that that's a real key point that you bring up there, Simon. Is that we have debuted so many players. All four of our selections in the draft from from last year have, have played already this year, and we're nine rounds in. And you said, dear, 12 players have debuted over these first two seasons. And that's great if you're a team who's sitting 12th, 14th, something like that. Not for a team who's challenging for a top four spot to be just easily going, okay, rookies, come in, and you're going to play a key role. And majority of them don't look out of place. Now, Collins was probably... He struggled early on, definitely. That first one that, uh, that Cameron got in the first... 30 seconds of the game, you could just see him just a step slow, a step slow to react to the kick coming in, and that's I guess that's fit to be expected against a guy like Cameron, who is one of the one of the best key forwards in the game. It's a tough challenge for a guy like Collins. He'll be better for the experience, but as you mentioned, when Adams comes back, which we're hoping is this week against Collingwood, you would imagine that Collins makes way for him and uh, goes back and, and keeps plying his trade at VFL level and keeps working on things. Because he's not a 22-year-old like Adams. He's 18, He's even though he looks like he's 35. He is a young kid. He's got a big body, but he's obviously got a lot to learn. And yeah, you can play some younger kids in the midfield, you know, off halfback, that sort of thing. But to play him as a key position guy at 18 years old, it's always going to be a struggle. And he was almost brought in as a, uh, as a, we have to do it this week and we've got no other choice, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Marcus Adams, obviously, he's, I mean, he's 21, but he, it was obviously his first season, but he was, he's obviously had a couple of years of playing uh, experienced, sort of more experienced players. So that that is obviously a disadvantage for Collins, but I mean, ideally, you know, he'd probably try and get one set full season in the VFL and, um, and then sort of progress from there. But obviously, as you said, the amount of injuries we've had, um, it means, you know, you've got to move probably Roughhead out to play forward. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got enough backs out, but now that Tom Boyd's out and Red Pass out, I mean, Roughhead's got to move from the back on the forward line, so it puts pressure on these sort of guys. So hopefully, we sort of get some of these guys back in the next week or two. We'll talk about all those guys uh, a little bit later on. The other players who came in this week, Kobe Stevens, yeah, did he struggled to think uh, a bit. He wasn't he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't he wasn't the sort of in the sort of form that he was before the injury where he was one of our key movers through half back and through midfield. Struggled a little bit today, just 14 touches, 6 kicks, 8 handballs, had 4 marks. Wasn't really damaging in any sort of area. Looked a little bit slow at times with some of his decision making but overall he, he's not in danger of losing his place in the team he's going to be better to, to get back in and get that run back under him um, anything you thought majorly to take away from what Stevens did oh, yeah he was pretty I thought, yeah it wasn't his best game it's probably just a couple of frustrating ones I thought just at the end where he was sort of having shots from about 60 metres out where he was clearly sort of had no sort of chance of making the distance but I mean it was pretty I mean you could obviously say try and make a short pass, but that was, you know, probably not on, on board. But, you know, you could probably tell that he missed a couple of weeks, so he would be much better than that police. So, he's an important game next week. His efficiency wasn't great. He went at 57% today, which is not ideal. That's a that's a key peak Matthew Boyd sort of efficiency. And the, when yeah. you're already missing players, you need your your stalwarts, your bigger bodies, your your more experienced guys to actually go and hit their targets. And when he's going at at 57, and uh, and Lockie Hunter, a guy who gets a lot of the ball, he struggled with some really terrible decisions in terms of his kicks at times. He only went at 62. That's a big a big chunk of guys who are getting touches through the midfield that really. It, it hurts when you're moving forward or you make key you know, key turnovers. And it just I think something that really summed up the game in terms of that was in that, um, which quarter was it? The third quarter, I think, Libba running down the wing uh, to the left of screen. 
uh, if you're watching on TV, and then he had that turnover where he kicked it in and it went sort of over Stevens' head. It was heading towards Dixon, and Stevens put one hand up when he really just, yeah. it was just a, a terrible decision of a kick. He just needed to give the hands over, and it was just that, that turnover. And then they're all running down the other way. All the Giants guys are heading back the other direction, and you're in trouble. And that happened again um, in the earlier quarter when Collins got a couple of his of his touches running down the wing. Just a poor turnover with Callan Ward getting the interception, and they're off. And you can't make those sort of turnovers, and that's what really, really made us struggle today, I think. The third of the inclusions was Lin Jong, and I think it's safe to say he won't be in next week. Uh, yeah, obviously because of his uh, high hit, which is you know probably at least a one- or two-week job. Um, he was obviously excellent in the first quarter, two goals and seven possessions early, but pretty much faded out, out of the contest. I just... Noticed on Twitter it came up in comparison. You were talking about our possessions, that, um, the inefficiency. And just tweeted that um, East Shore had 37 of his 38 possessions and had 202 super coach points. So that was probably a, probably the antithesis of our sort of disposal today. Yeah, exactly. And he was. Yeah, that's fine. Some of the kicks that he's making were tough. Some of them weren't, and you expect them to hit those those sort of targets. Some of the kicks that he makes, especially the ones you know, where he kicks into himself running out of the goal square, and then and then does a you know thirty meter kick. That's fine. You're always going to hit that one, and that's no problem with that. But you've got to make them pay on the second one, and a lot of the times we didn't make them pay on that second kick. And I, I don't mind letting a first kick out of out of the backline from a from a behind go. Like if you kick a, a twenty meter kick to a guy that's unmanned, I don't really. I don't really mind that too much, but you have to stop the second kick. That is an absolute must. If you let the second kick go unmanned, then you're in a, a ton of trouble because that opens everything up, the corridor, the, the sides. You have to stop that second kick, and that's sort of where we struggled there because they ran through those spots pretty well. Now, as for Jong, you would think he's going to be suspended, but we, we speaking last week, Simon, we also, also thought that Bernie Vince would get suspended. And the difference between those two, to me, was that Vince actually ran through when he hit Mitch Wallace. He was running through and hit him in the head. Jong was more stationary. Like, he ran and, and stopped, saw the, the guy come with the head, stopped, did turn and sort of brace himself, hit him in the head, that's fine. But uh, who, who knows what the uh, match review panel is going to do. Yeah, Boyd gets a week, Redpath gets a week for an incident that no one really saw. Uh, Vince gets off. We don't really know. You would have to expect, though, that Jong will not be playing next week. That I would be stunned, which well, I was stunned this week with some of the decisions, but I would be stunned if he's a... Uh, if he's uh, free to suit up next week, yeah, I mean head high contact is obviously they're pretty pretty sort of on the on, on the ball there in terms of um, you know suspensions and whatnot. So um, I wouldn't, yeah, one one or two weeks. I mean, I mean to be honest, he's probably on the fringe at the moment anyway. So whether he would have kept his spot anyways, that's obviously not ideal. But um, yeah, so hopefully yeah, it's off, but I, I doubt it. What's your take on, on on Jong as a player? To me, he's a guy that whenever he goes into the midfield, I get nervous because I think his peripheral vision is poor. Um, I think his decision-making is poor, but he's a massive body and he can at times play as a as a lead-up forward, as a as a pack crashing forward as well. He took two inside marks inside 50 today, equal equal lead on the team, and he can provide that third man up in uh, in ball-up situations in the forward 50 as well. But he's a guy that whenever I see him move into the midfield, I get worried that he's either going to be too slow, he's going to give away a reckless free kick, or he's going to make a poor decision. So in terms of his career or his future at AFL level, I, I don't think that he's in our best 22, do you? No, I mean, considering the plays we do have to come back, I, I wouldn't have thought he'd be in our best 22. Um, I, yeah, I, I'd probably agree. He's, I mean, he's... To this point, he's probably got the most out of himself in terms of his ability. You wouldn't say he's the most skillful naturally and all that sort of thing. Probably sort of football, you know, sort of awareness and smarts are probably not, not ideal. But, you know, as a sort of a feeling and sort of a fringe player, he's obviously he's excellent at having the team because he's always going full ball. But, yeah. I'd say he's probably he's definitely got limitations to how far he can probably go. Yeah, when you have to swing him into the midfield, I think you're in a little bit of trouble. But you said he's really hard at it, and I think as a as a forward, almost a 
defensive type of forward who, honestly, if, if he gets a kick that's 20 meters out from goal, you worry about the accuracy. But plonk him down in the square as that guy who creates contests, um, yeah, wrestles the ball, provides opportunities for other players. He could fit in that sort of a, a situation. But overall, he does have his, his limitations. Super athlete, but he needs to translate it into some footy smarts as well. Now, referencing something I talked about earlier, I found the stats in terms of age. Smitty, the, the Giants' average age for their players today, 24 years and 10 months. We were at 24 years and one month. Average games, 88.9, and we were at 69.9. So for all the talk about how good the Giants are as a young team, which they are, absolutely no doubt, because they've, you know, they've stacked themselves with the best young talent in the in the country for the last three years. But we're still significantly younger and significantly more inexperienced than them playing up at their home ground and came away 25-point losers Ooh. so you see some of the comments on the uh, Bulldogs official Facebook page you know, insipid not trying um, what are these guys doing terrible game plan beverage no idea these players are lazy like, just get your hands off it Like it's ridiculous this is not the case and you have to be able to and that's what I hope that we can bring with this podcast Simon some sort of rationale or some rational thinking of like come on like this is we know what we're building to we're missing a lot of players and and I don't want to keep harping on that, but it's it's true. There's there's easily five or six guys in this team who wouldn't be playing if we we're at full strength. What else did you um notice with uh, with today's game? Any anything else really sort of standing out to you? Um, probably the inside fifty entries we had. I thought we had enough, but you know it wasn't the best sort of quality. So I mean, this combination of the players, you know, running through the midfield, players available, and obviously the targets down forward weren't. You know, weren't the first sort of option in terms of who you pick if all the players are available. Um, so it was it was pretty scrappy. You know, I mean, we keep them to under 100 points. You know, considering the talent level they have and they're at home and all that sort of stuff, I thought it was excellent. I just going through both teams as you were talking about in terms of um, the discrepancy in A. Hey, Smitty, you've dropped out. Election today we had three, so. You know, that doesn't count all the pre, we call the GWS pre-drafts where they had all these sort of influx of players. So, I mean, the, the players that we've had to sort of build ourselves in terms of getting late picks and, you know, rookie drafts and all that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, 25 points isn't probably too bad. Yeah, look, in the end, you're not you're never happy with losing, but you think it showed enough in terms of and in terms of positive. But I can't go and look at the game and go, this was a massive positive. You know, I thought this was great, this was great. I can't really pick that sort of stuff out. But overall, I say it's more not a negative, and I think that's the best we can come out of it. And that's I think that's that's plenty fine at this point. Um, a couple of things that that I wanted to to mention that I saw, I think I touched on this last week, Tory Dixon. He is. You know, he missed that key goal at the start of the fourth quarter, which you expect him to kick. He kicked a couple, and he looked really dangerous in the in the fourth quarter. He was going to kick goals, and we know what he's like as a as a goal scorer, as a sniper, as a really decent lead up target as well. But any time he exits that forward fifty, I I, I am petrified. And yes, that goes to depth today as well. But there was a, an instance he took a he took a mark in the opposition goal score. I don't know what he was doing down there. It was a great mark. But then the decision coming out of there is not great. And then he had another one up on the wing. Um, might have been the third quarter, I think. And oh, I don't have a stat on this, but I wish I did. I feel like he, in terms of percentage kicks outside the forward 50, he would get his smothered the most out of anybody in the league. His hand-to-foot speed feels extraordinarily slow, and his decision-making outside the 450 doesn't feel like it's at a, at a great pace. Around the goals, sure, on the boot, it's it's in. For him to make a move inside 50 or yeah, re- rebounding out of 50, he really struggles in that. And he and to his credit and to the coaching staff's credit, he doesn't really venture outside there. But when he does, it's a real sort of hand-in-mouth sort of feeling for me. I see him, I go, this is going to be a turnover. Something's not going to work out here. Yeah, I suppose you inferred there he's probably only going up there because we probably, you know, sort of have, have to do it to the last resort almost when he's going up there just to fill in. But you can sort of, you can definitely tell he's, you know, he's, his coordination and hand eye and all that sort of thing is close to the goal. It's incredibly, sort of, you know, higher than, you know, he's probably not quick as quick, but he's just sort of smart when he's around goal. So he can sort of maybe just pick and choose where to, you know, where to run and how to, Whatnot. So, um, but two goals if he can kick two goals a week, that'd be, you know, that'd be terrific. Obviously, last year he kicked fifty, so he sort of missed the first few games of the year, and 
you know, hopefully he can sort of build up towards the second half of the year. Yeah, look, kicking two goals is great. I just don't want him to give one one or two back to the opposition through midfield turnover. So in general, he, he doesn't do that. But there was a time a couple of years ago where he would continually sort of move himself out of that Ford 50 and start roaming around the center. Just get out of there. Just stay back. You stay at the edge of the square at most, and then if your player runs off, at least you're going to be you're going to make you know that you're going to make them pay when the ball comes back down, because to me the the ratio of mistakes that he makes versus good plays that he makes outside that Ford fifty is pretty high, and it's not really worth worth the risk. Now, something I don't want to do on this show too often, Simon, is complain about umpires because it's a pretty tough job. You, you can watch things, and we watch things with a clear bias. Yeah, we 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 talk about advice. I don't even want to talk about other teams on this podcast. I don't care about other teams. I don't care about what they're doing. I'm more looking at this from a Bulldogs point of view. So when I look at umpiring, yes, every decision I think should be favouring our way. And I go, you know what? Most of these are judgment calls. And if it's a bad call, it's a good call, whatever. The problem I have with umpiring at times is when there's clear procedural issues that don't make sense. Now, this is an example. And it's it's a very it's something that's really been bothering me this season. Probably the major thing that's bothering me with the umpires this season is playing on after marks. In the third quarter, Tory Dixon, when he one of his ventures towards the halfback line, took a mark at the back end of the square. Right? Yeah. Took it, marked it, and then sort of tripped over uh, the GWS player and was laying on the ground and then did a handball, I think, to Stringer running on, and we were off. We were through off through the middle. And the umpire said, no, blow it back, bring it back, you've got to um you've got to go over your mark to get rid of it. Do you remember the incident? I Yes, definitely remember the incident, yeah. Okay, so, and and I absolutely agree with that. I think that that is the correct call. You do have to go back over your mark. But if we fast forward, or not fast forward, if we rewind back to the second quarter, Jonathan Patton took a mark, um, almost in the goal square, running back, grabbed it, and ran over the over the line, and he was standing behind the points. Do you remember that incident? I don't, sorry. <laughs> well, anyone who, who watched his second quarter, he took, took a mark as he was running back into their goal into their goal square. He marked it and ran through the point post. He was standing behind the line, behind the goal line, behind the points, handballed it to a player in the goal square, Toby Green, I think, who kicked a goal. Now, if that is not, why doesn't he need to come back over his mark? Why can he be five meters past where he marked it, out of the field of play and play on? That is my concern. And this happened against in the Adelaide game as well. If you recall that, which, you, again, you might not. This is something that really bothers me and it's been sticking with me all season. Eddie Betts took a mark right in the last quarter and did a handball over to Josh Jenkins to get them within three points in the final quarter. Do you remember that one? I remember that vaguely, yes. He took a mark, backpedaled about five steps, and Morris was sort of trying to guard him. And the commentators were like, oh, mate, that should be 50 because Morris is tackling him. But he... Took the mark, backpedaled five steps, you know, kept going back, kept going back. Morris couldn't tackle him, had to sort of guard him, and then, and then Betts is just allowed to stand still and then handball off to Jenkins running past, which again is clearly not coming behind the mark, and that's where I have an issue with an umpire because it's, it's a procedural thing. It's not a judgment. It is just blatantly in front of you. That make him go back behind the mark, and that's my umpiring rant for today over. It's, That's it, fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just bothersome to me because it's just a clear, plain and simple rule. And I completely agree that Dixon, sh- yeah, he probably should have been made to go. Look, it was borderline because he moved about a centimetre off his line. But if a guy's allowed to play on from behind the line, behind the goals, standing behind the goal umpire, then I'm pretty sure Dixon, Dixon would have been okay. Just make it up one way or the other. Don't care. That was my... I suppose uh, like just similar ones, I suppose. I don't know if, if you've noticed, but a player may mark within sort of 10, 15 metres and they'll want to to play on straight away occasionally they will and they'll be allowed and then other times they'll be they'll be called back to the mark you know what i mean like, yep. it makes no it makes no sense in that sort of regard because the advantage always is with that player marking it because the defender can't can't grab them if, if they've run five meters over their mark the defender can't grab them because it'll be 50 but the player can just just then decide to go yeah which is ridiculous. And that puts the defender in a, a horrible situation. What do they do? We know this player's trying to go. We know he's trying to handle. We can't stop him, but we do, he doesn't have to go back and set up like it's a mark. So it's either play on or it's not. And, and I'm sure the umpires aren't listening to this, but that's something that needs to change for me. Um, Bailey Williams, what did you think of him today? I thought he looked good. So like, did I. I thought he was good last week as well in terms of being his first game. And also today, I mean... You know his, his stats were enormous. He had sixteen possessions, but I thought, I thought he just you know he sort of seemed to know the feel of the game, and he sort of had the 
kept up with the speed and he sort of seemed to make smart decisions. So considering, you know, where he was picked in the draft, he was picked 48, I think. So I think so far he's done pretty well. I thought he was fantastic today. I thought you know, 16 touches is not much, as you mentioned, but he was third on the team in inside 50s. He had five just behind Hunter and Pickin. I thought his ability to get the ball and looked calm moving inside 50, a couple of moves that he would make, like grab it and then just a quick sidestep to get past someone, you know, no no second game panic or anything like that. I thought he I, he has the, the poise of a player. I thought, you know what, this guy is going to be a genuine you know, threat as a as an outside running type midfielder, he can obviously get his own ball as well when he gets a little bit bigger. But his poise and his ability to to evade guys heading into that forward fifty, and the fact that he was able to pump the ball in five times is pretty impressive to me as well for a guy who's you know obviously just two games in. He went at seventy five percent by foot, he had a couple of rebound fifties as well. I thought he was uh, he was mildly impressive, and I'll be I'll be shocked if he goes out. I guess it depends on who comes back in, but he looked really good to me and. Absolutely think that he's uh, he's going to fit in at AFL level. Yep. Go ahead. Your uh, three, two, one. My three, two, one. Um, we'll go from one. I, I had uh, Liam Picken the number one, um, just for one vote. I thought he's sort of, you know, didn't it wasn't a standout game. He didn't have a billion possessions. He had twenty-two possessions. He did have nine tackles. I just thought he was. I don't know. I just thought he was quite relentless in terms of his attack on the ball, which obviously is a case every week for him. So I gave him one. I gave two to Luke Dalhouse. I thought he was, again, pretty consistent without being sort of outstanding. Um, 28 touches, five tackles, I mean, 18 handballs. But um, I thought, I just thought he was a good four-quarter performer. And I've given three again to uh, Marcus Bond and Pelly. Um, So it's three weeks in a row, he's top 30, which, is obviously you know an extremely impressive for considering he hasn't played 50 games yet and um his just ability to get handballs in clearances and you know he's obviously about six foot four so it makes it you know a hell of a lot easier for him but i thought he had the most i thought he had the most impact on the game for the Bulldogs. well you've got the three the same three players as me um i went in a slightly different order i actually went picking as as the three um, I know you went with one first, but oh, they're the same player. So I went picking at three, Dalhouse at two, and Bontempelli at one. I thought Bontempelli was was quiet early on. He, he came back with a very strong second half, especially that end of the third, start of the fourth. I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was quiet early on, but he was he was quite efficient. He had, he had led the team in clearances again. He, he was good. To me, Picken was, was great in terms of his hardness at the ball as per usual. He was really efficient. I didn't have any concerns when he, when he had the ball. Um, in terms of making a mistake, it felt like I, he didn't make a mistake really at all during the uh, during the game. He was he was providing run through the middle. He was providing a, an option up forward. He was uh, he was putting up some pretty pretty impressive leaps at, at grabs. I thought he was our he was our best player today. Um, the inside fifties again. He was seven. He had seven inside fifties. Second on the team there. So pumping the ball in. He drew some free kicks. He ta- led the team in tackles as well. And uh, and the twenty two touches as you alluded to. So I thought he was a, he was our best. Dalhouse. Everything you said was accurate there. He was in and under, burrowing in, putting a body on a lot of players. Really getting out there and and doing everything he does basically every week. He's I would have to say he's our most consistent performer week to week and it just left Mitch Wallace out of my votes again this week. Yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about, about Liam Pickett? I mean, he's been, for, you know, considering where he's come from in terms of being a rookie player playing through Williamstown and then just coming from sort of nowhere in terms of his career and drafted and whatnot, um, he's, um, yeah, he, he's had injuries, he's had all sorts of things and, um the way he's playing, he's, he's probably almost the most consistent player. And now he's, since obviously the new coach has come in, he's not strictly a tagger and he's been getting, you know, sort of mid-high 20s in terms of possessions and showing sort of how much all-winning all ability he does have. I, I thought he was done under McCartney. I thought he's, you know, he shouldn't be given a, another contract. He should be looked at at being traded. I thought he's really struggling in this role. He couldn't keep up with people. He couldn't get the ball. But uh, Beveridge has obviously unleashed him in a completely different role, and it's it's been an amazing... It's, it's one probably one of the best moves that Beveridge has made, you know, aside from moving Boyd back to the half-back line. Um, putting Picken as a forward, as a, as a ball-winning forward as well, has been tremendous, I, I think, and one of the more key moves that, that a coach can make, you know, just completely reinventing a player and has come through with without... Well, not, not even without missing a missing a step, like just 
excelling and taking his game three, four levels higher than where he's been before. Unsung hero, Simon. Who did you give it to in this one? Uh, well, probably wasn't a great deal to choose for. Yeah, I wasn't. chose Dale Morris because he's obviously never a, a um, I suppose, a high possession winner or whatnot. But I just thought he was he, he did what he had to do in terms of the back line. I mean, there's quite quite a few people have got him in their All Australian team at the moment in terms of the way he's performed, in terms of going down and cutting out players. I mean, obviously Cameron got away early on um, first game of Kieran Collins, but I just thought he was. He just did what he had to do, and he was just impressive in terms of. Sort of I mean, we, we were. I thought we did pretty well to keep them to sort of under under a hundred points in the end. And I just thought he was um, he was always thereabouts in terms of you know, sort of nullifying attacks and whatnot. He wasn't outstanding by any means, but I just thought he was he was very good for us. Uh, absolutely, he was a probably. I probably wish I should have yeah, could have gone with him now as my unsung hero. Thinking back, because he was just always there to sort of provide a steadying hand. Didn't make any mistakes. I thought he was great. The guy I wanted to give the or the guy I am going to give the unsung hero to is Fletcher Roberts. And I was relatively harsh on him last week. I thought he really struggled. And I thought he'd struggle to hold his place in the team. But for the second week in a row, he's led this team in one percenters in in strong efforts uh, on on and off the ball putting in you know, body work on big forwards. And I thought that he was uh, he was pretty consistent down there. He didn't get destroyed by by any stretch. Obviously, that uh, honour went to Kieran Collins a lot of the time. But I thought that Roberts showed a bit more of what he can do and and more of the play that saw him in our final side last year. Like, he played in that elimination final last year. And he I don't know if he's exactly in our top 22, but he's not far off it. And starting to look better and better each week and that's two weeks in a row that he has led the, led the team in one percenters and that's it's a pretty key thing for a backman to be able to get in there put their body on the line create space all that sort of stuff and he he did it better he wasn't much like Morris he wasn't outstanding he wasn't great he wasn't fantastic but not many people will be saying look at how well Fletcher Roberts played and I thought he held up relatively well against again a high-powered forward line when he doesn't have any other real aside from Morris no other stabilizing figures around him he stepped up, and I thought he was pretty decent today. I completely agree. I, he did help out a lot in terms of um, with Jeremy Cameron. I mean, Cameron obviously still kicked five in the end, but considering the, the ball he did have coming down to him, um, I thought I thought Roberts did exceptionally well. And as you said, I mean, the one percenters um, don't obviously don't sort of stand out and sort of shout out to what they do, say thirty-five possessions or five goals, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, thought, I think he's done exceptionally well in terms of um, filling in for the guys that are out. And I'm probably like you, I'd say he's sort of on the fringe in terms of the um, best 22. So depending on who's there and who's not in matchups, we'll sort of wait and see. Exactly, but he did he did himself no harm today with his performance. Let's go through just the rest of the list and, and see you know, what other any other comments we've got on some of these players we haven't really spoken about. Jack McRae, I thought was serviceable, didn't really stand out, made some key some key kicks and some key accurate disposals late in the game or through that middle when we're trying to come back. I thought he was just you know, pretty much his standard self. Nothing nothing terrible. Nothing nothing great. No, he does he does the job week in week out, doesn't he? Like twenty six touches, he's sort of thereabouts, give or take a few. Um, didn't make ter- too many mistakes and he's you know he's always running hard and whatnot so yeah I thought I thought he was quite good here's a question for you for Jack McRae we we got Jack McRae um, as compensation for losing Cullen Ward who would you prefer at this point oh <laughs> it, it's, it's um, Ward was fantastic today though well it's hard I mean Ward's been amazing I mean he's probably you know yeah it's hard, it's hard to say I mean Ward's got a few years on him, so perhaps in a few years' time, he might sort of stay either way. It's hard to say this stage, I think. But they do play completely different sort of games. Obviously, they're both midfielders, but a completely different role. Like, Ward was just monstrous today. He was he is just a massive guy, and there were times we just couldn't bring him down in tackles. But I think in the end, it, it turns out almost, we would obviously love to have Ward still back at the team, but then we wouldn't have had McRae with that pick. So in the end, it's almost a win-win. Um, yeah, he goes, he gets his money, he gets a bigger role, he develops into a big player. We get a pick who ends up being you know, a, a really high-caliber midfielder. So in the end, it's probably the best sort of um, compensation you could have got in that situation. We spoke briefly about Mitch Wallace. I thought he was he was really solid again. No sort of mistakes from him, really in and under again, providing and, and some real hard running to kick that goal uh, in that second quarter as well. I thought he did really well. 
Yeah, he did. I thought he was. I, I was sort of almost going to have him in the top three in terms of the votes. He probably, yeah, he's probably the next one in line. And I thought um, he's yeah very similar to um, Liam Pickett in terms of just crashing, banging, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, not the most spectacular use of the footy, but you know, you know what he's going to give you, and sort of he doesn't stop running. And um, I think he's only going to get better. Lockie Hunter it wasn't his best game. Not. Yeah, a few real poor kicks early on. Still led the team in inside 50s. Played sort of a more forward role. I haven't seen him really inside 50 as much as what we saw him today. But I thought a bit of a down performance from Hunter today, especially with his disposal efficiency. Yeah, probably a little bit down. He probably did make a few mistakes. But having said that, I mean, you know, it's not bad. Sort of 24 touches of a goal and whatnot. So, oh, yeah. you know, if that can be his bad game, then we'll be take that I suppose <laughs> Libba was definitely down on his output here only had 21 touches had two tackles just had a few nice little little clearances a few nice little in and under handballs but um, wasn't wasn't his best performance and he looked he made a few key key errors as that one I highlighted earlier not not the best performance from Libba today yeah definitely not probably not up to his standard last week and last previous sort of few weeks but um, they were I mean their, their inside sort of work was, was excellent and you know I mean, that's, that's the way it rolls. So, yeah. I think Caleb Daniel, Shane Biggs, Jed Adcock, they all sort of played their role. They didn't do anything that I thought bared much mentioning. Same with Easton Wood. He was he was solid. What did you think of the ruck combination of Campbell and Roughhead? Mm, yeah, it was, it was okay. I mean, I think they're, still, they're doing the best of what they, what they can. I mean, they're both not, you know, dominating ruck by any means. Um they're obviously contesting well and giving their best, but um, definitely not as dominant, obviously, as you know other ruckmen in the league. Obviously, they had Mumford today and other weeks we've played. They've done very well against guys like Goldstein and Thorne and Beeson, which, which has been outstanding. But um, at least you know they're going to give a contest week in, week out. So, I mean, that's probably as much as you can ask. What's, there was a lot of people mentioning you know, through social media posts that they thought that Minton should have been brought in this week um, to enable us to have another forward to put Campbell up forward to replace that Redpath-Boyd role. Um, Minson played very well. He destroyed Mumford last year in the game down at Eddie Head Stadium. What's your take on that? Would you have wanted Minson in? Um, or do you think that Campbell is clearly our number one ruck moving forward? I thought they would have given him a go. I, I, when I saw he was in the, you know, the inclusions... As a, as a long bench um, I thought we just, just as a target like he has shown in the past he can take a couple of masks a couple of goals and obviously jump in the ruck obviously he's done exceptionally well past years um, so I mean I I thought he did well in the final when he came in last year against Adelaide so I obviously wouldn't put a line through his name yet but um, I think Campbell's done done well whilst, whilst he's been there so you know it's probably a much of a muchness I think putting him in over Jong would have been a decent move, but you said that he can take a mark. I'll disagree. I think he's the worst mark-taking big man in the AFL. He has got hands made out of cement most of the time. The ball hits it. It just Look, he creates a contest, fine, but for him to actually pluck a grab, sometimes not even contested, is, is a battle in itself. Absolutely think that he could have gone in there and matched a body on body with Mumford, who's probably the best matchup for him in the league in terms of types of Ruckman. He's not an athletic guy who's going to be pushing forward and running all over the place, whereas Minson's got no hope of keeping up with guys like Goldstein and things like that. But against Mumford, he would have had a chance. And yes, Campbell can go up and take a big mark as well, not in the same league as what Boyd or Redpath can do in terms of creating a target space. But he's just... I don't know. He's he does struggle for for speed around the ground, but this was probably the perfect opportunity to get him in. And if he's not getting in here, then I do worry about what they think of him uh, for the future. It could, it could change in the next couple of rounds, but I'm not massively uh, not massively optimistic about what what happens with um with him moving forward. Jakey Stringer, I think it was uh, was impacted by the fact that there was no big man up there. He plays it. Yeah, it's levels and levels better when he has a big man next to him. Now, Stringer's not a big man. He can take a big mark, but he is a midfielder in size. His best position is probably as a midfielder, to be honest, throughout his career. He is not a key forward, um, despite the fact that he'll kick a lot of goals, but he needs a big man next to him. He needs Redpath. He needs Boyd, and for all the people who are Boyd haters, Boyd hasn't really taken a game over yet, but his ability to draw two or three defenders towards him and to draw the ball towards him to allow Stringer to get off and get the third 
or the second best defender and to, to crumb the ball off him is key. And when Stringer's got the main focal point going forward, it's really tough. And against a good team, you've got no chance up forward like that. Completely agree. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things you, you wouldn't have thought if, um, you know, for instance, Red Pass been out this week or Boyd that, you know, they don't exactly sort of, you know, dominate. They don't sort of you know, take 20, you know, have 20 possessions and take 15 marks. But it's, it's just their impact when you're actually watching the game in terms of, yeah, contesting and it's taking structure. the pressure off and just creating space for guys like Stringer and Dixon and those sort of guys. Exactly. So, it's it's um, the space they create. That's exactly what they do because we kick to them and they can stand there because they're they're massive men. Like Boyd's 200 centimetres, 100 kilos, and he's 19. Redpath's probably pushing 110, 115 kilos. Like he is, they're big, big guys. They stand there, two guys on them, bring the ball to ground. They'll take a grab occasionally, but then you bring the ball to ground. And then you've got Stringer, who's lightning in terms of his speed and his ability to pick the ball up. Dixon, the same thing. McLean's in there. And Dalhouse roams down there. That creates the issue. When you're kicking it to Stringer, he's, yes, he's strong. But if he's got two key defenders on him, he's going to really struggle to actually bring that ball down to ground. And then who does he bring it down to? He doesn't bring it down to another Jake Stringer. There's no one else down there. So it throws that whole structure out. So that's mainly the argument I could have seen for bringing Minson in to at least get a big body down there, not to take a grab, but just to get the structure back and just to get the spacing right. And it's a term I use often when I'm talking basketball about getting spacing right. And it's creating the threat of something rather than that threat actually coming to fruition. If you create the threat, you get the defense worried about something else. And that allows everything else to work as it was. As for now, opposition teams must be going, cool, Stringer's their number one option. We can sit on him. Not a problem. But when he's the second and when Dixon's the third, then, then you've got a lot of a lot of questions to answer for it as a defense, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I mean it, it's yeah, it makes it just so much easier. I mean, guys like I mean, we haven't touched on Toby McLean much today, but I thought he was, you know, I mean he, he, he doesn't run. sort of get a truckload of the ball, but he hit he did a couple of goals and I just think he looks yeah, he just—he always looks like a threat, and he's always, you know, sort of leading up and trying to take a mark. And he seems to have a great sort of feel around the goal. And um, him and Dixon, I think, you know, they, they can work very well together. And um, yeah, and it does. Yeah, just having those big guys just helps enormously. Well, McLean comes in then as the fourth option. You're behind Stringer, Dixon, and Redpath slash Boyd. Like he comes in as a fourth option, and and he can he can take a big grab. He can he can rove a pack. He can kick a great goal, you know, an angle goal, a, a roving goal, a streaming through goal. He can do all that sort of stuff. But when everyone gets elevated up one position in the pecking order, it takes a lot of their advantages away. And that's sort of the thing that we have is, is matchup advantages up forward. And when one of those things doesn't work and the structure gets broken down, it's it's a real battle. And against poor teams, we can do it. But against good teams, it, it's it's almost impossible to get done. I think. Um, yeah. No injuries coming out of this game, so that's a good thing. Let's let's talk about guys coming back. So we're going to have Boyd and Redpath both back next week. We're going to have uh, Tom Boyd, who is um, likely to return, but he, from all accounts, is going to return through Footscray, so he won't be back in this week. So we'll have Boyd, Redpath back in. Adams, you would have to expect will be back in. Initially, his injury was thought to be a one-week one. He's missed two. So you'd say Adams, Boyd, Redpath all come back. Jong's not going to play. Uh, we can almost guarantee that at this point. Who else makes way for those other guys to come back? Good question. Um, has to be Collins. It has to be Collins that goes, I would say. Assuming those three come back, Collins, Collins and Jong are two, I would say. Yeah, Collins and Jong. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is um, The other one I was just thinking of was um, Suckling, whether he's coming back yet well he's I think he's one or two away so he could be back but I think he's more likely to be back the one after that but he is a chance to, to return this week and the other guy who's who's going to return most likely this week is Rovat but he's he will come back through Footscray and even if he gets a game this year that he might not get a game at all this year given the depth we have in that position and he's sort of found himself you know third or so on the depth chart for those small forward positions but he was, he's a guy that's back but Suckling you're not sure he'll be he's probably one or two uh, two weeks away the other guy, I think I think it comes down to Jed Adcock or Bailey Williams as to who would make way for Adams, Boyd, and Redpath to return. And to be honest, at the moment, I would probably take Adcock out and leave Williams in. But uh, how, would you would you see it a different way? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's probably a line ball. The only way they'd be possibly thinking is Adcock's obviously got the 200 games experience and whether that sort of plays account in terms of how he gets selected. But um, I, I don't think Bailey Williams has done much wrong in terms of... Um, uh, his start and obviously in the past couple of you know, season and a half that Beveridge has tended to sort of give guys a good go in terms of um, first first game players so um, that, that's yeah I mean Adcock's been consistent but he hasn't been obviously spectacular so 
Adcock's more of one of those guys, a bit of a bit of a, a hand in mouth sort of player to me where I get it and go, Oh, what's he gonna do? And there was that instance today where we had it we had a massive opportunity to score and Heath Shaw just pushed him off the ball and made him look silly in the yep. end, just just pushed him, he, he tumbled over backwards and really he should have been able to gather that ball. Yes, it wasn't a great kick out to him, but he should have been able to gather that and do it. And that's the way I feel like yes, he's an experienced player, yes he can provide some stuff, but he's not a player and it's fair enough, he's at his first time at the club, a whole change in structure and teammates, all that sort of stuff. He just doesn't feel comfortable with the with the style and with the game plan and looks to me as if he's lost a step or two. And to me, he's a guy that I'd get out. But I can understand having him in there as just that extra body, extra experience head back there. But he does worry me at, at times with some of his play. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I thought, I think he's, I think he sort of improves a little bit each week. He sort of took, I think, the first couple of weeks, he probably barely had 10 possessions per game. I mean, he's not obviously yep. a possession huge ball magnet or anything like that. But I think, yeah, I mean, I think it'd just be a matter of whether they want the um, extra sort of experience considering, you know, the players we do have out at the moment, um, especially Bob Murphy. Um, but, yeah, obviously next week's going to be an interesting game and be obviously a big crowd and be... Awesome, awesome, um, atmosphere. Yeah, it, it should be definitely interesting. Now, other injuries. Zane Cordy looks to be about three to four weeks away with a high ankle sprain. And whenever I hear the term high ankle sprain, it bothers me immensely because a high ankle sprain is not an ankle sprain. It is not the standard. I've rolled my ankle. It is a, a much worse injury. It is much. Uh, it lingers a hell of a lot. And three to four weeks might be optimistic. And guys coming back from high ankle sprains they come back but they don't come back 100% so I'm a little bit worried about Zane Cordy not that he was playing a huge role this year but it's a concern suckling a couple of one, one to two weeks away JJ uh, about six weeks away still but the good news is that Clay Smith has resumed training um, he's, he's resumed full training now we might not see him until the very end of the year but he's a player that I think goes completely under the radar in terms of what he can offer to us as a club and to our midfield group and hopefully he can stay fit and healthy for the first time in three years yeah I mean it's been devastating obviously he did it again last year I think it was I can't remember the game but just, I remember it was that Eddie had and I was there yeah, and Kilda, the crowd 50 points up was it the third time he's done his knee? Was that it last was. year? Was yeah. Well, this, is what, yeah. this is what happened right? He, it was the game against St Kilda and we were and we were 50 points up and, uh, yeah, and then we one, lost and the, the reason we yeah. lost is and this is it's not an excuse but it happened, I think, just before halftime. And then he came off and then he went back on and went down again. And the, yep. the players went in at halftime and they were literally all crying in the in the dressing room. Now, yep. you shouldn't lose when you're 50 points up with a half to go against a team as bad as what St. Kilda was. But that is why we lost that game. Because he means a lot to this this team, and they saw and he was obviously in there crying, but the players, his teammates, were in there crying with him, and they were completely sapped of energy, and that happens a lot with this team. That and we talked about it on the last episode, how close they all are, how they're all such close mates, and there's legitimate love between these guys. But when someone goes down, it's a real it's a real concern. You saw when Johannesson went down with the hamstring injury, we stopped in that game, and luckily we were, I think it was the Carlton game, we were up by a significant amount. But that last quarter, they were they were concerned about Johannesson. They were they they love this guy, and that's what happens. And that's exactly what happened to Clay. Getting him back is a massive emotional boost, even if it's just on the training track. To see him back out there, rehabbing again for the third time, it's a huge emotional boost for this team. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I didn't I didn't know the depth of that in terms of how bad they were at half time. Obviously, I think they just come off the, the Sydney game the week before, so. Um, that That's probably gross. took you know a bit out of them also, but then obviously the injury for him doesn't help. But um, I've noticed he's got a, a full sleeve tattoo, so hopefully that might change his luck. <laughs> hopefully, I, I, he's got a full back one as well. Oh, shit, I, I think his uh, <laughs> uh, his mum's got a massive back tattoo as well. Yeah, they're, they're, okay. they're a big, big tat family. Um, I, I do have a like I have an, an inside source in the uh, in the playing group, so I can hear, get some of these little little bits and pieces. I won't reveal the, the source of where I get my information from, but that that is that is what happened last year, and that is a that is a, a big a, a big thing of why we, we lost that game. But we're dwelling on 2015 now. Josh Dunkley also had the most possessions for Footscray today, so he's a chance to return. Not sure he will if all these other guys return, but if some someone doesn't, if say Adams isn't right to go and they want to drop another midfielder, then I, I think that Dunkley would, would be pressed. He's been good in the last couple of games. He'd be uh, definitely pressing to get a, an, another spot, considering I don't think he did much wrong in the first couple of games when he played. 
No, I agree. I mean, he's another guy who's, you know, obviously, as you said before, we've had the four guys from this, this year's draft have already played and we're only in, what, round nine. So I thought, yeah, I thought he was impressive while he was there and he was probably a bit unlucky to miss out. So potentially a good game in the VFL might see him back in. Absolutely. Um, Smitty, I don't know if we've got too much more to talk about from this game. A disappointing loss, no doubt, but we now we front up again another Sunday, 3 p.m. game against Collingwood at the MCG, and they're coming off a massive, massive upset over Geelong. Early early view ahead to the game, we, we should go in favourite, but are we, are we concerned about it? Oh, I suppose concerned, but I think we should be confident. Um, you know, we get... Get a couple of the guys obviously suspended back and hopefully Marcus Adams. Um, and potentially we could, you know, I mean, Collingwood obviously had two very good wins. Obviously, Geelong, very impressive uh, win yesterday. But, you know, we could be copying the good time. They might sort of slack off a tiny bit and we sort of improve from, from today's. But um, I think, you know, the way we played at the MCG last week against Melbourne should, should help immensely. Yeah, look, and Melbourne's not a bad team. We saw what they did the week before they played us. We saw what they did this week against Brisbane, and we comprehensively um, beat them and really never gave them a sniff. I think we're we, assuming every all the, the three guys that we're anticipating to come back come back. I think we should be we should have enough to hold off Collingwood, and I hope we're going out there pretty angry and pretty aggressive and, and get a get a big one up on the board. We are done for episode two. Simon, if anyone, if you are listening to this podcast, first of all, thank you for listening and thank you for uh, for taking the time to to be a part of this uh, new initiative that myself and Simon are putting on. If you want to keep in touch with the show, you can find it on Twitter at The Kennel Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Kennel Pod. You can find Simon on Twitter at Simon A. Benedict, and you can find me at Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball, which is a, a lot of basketball stuff, but that's the account I'm monitoring mostly. You can check me out there. And of course, if you do like the podcast, subscribe to it on iTunes and give it a review and a rating. It helps the show push up into the iTunes store and uh, get in front of more eyeballs and show more or more earballs or whatever you want to call them. It shows more people. It promotes the club. We're talking about getting more information out about this team and there's not enough really in the media about about our team who honestly we're putting together a pretty good season and we need to get out there more. So the more that you share this show amongst your friends, Tell them verbally, email them, Facebook them, Twitter them, Instagram them, um, iTunes reviews, all that stuff helps and I do appreciate it. Uh, if you could do that, it takes a couple of minutes and it would be uh, super helpful for the show. Simon, thank you for coming on again and thank you for chatting Bulldogs even though it wasn't the uh, the result we're after. No, it wasn't. Obviously, yeah, last week was a lot more fun but you know that's okay. We, we can only look forward to Collingwood and hopefully having a great win. Yep, absolutely. Um, spirits are high. Not, it's a loss, but it's a, it's not a horrible loss. Horrible losses are, are, are not ideal, but I think we, we can all hold our heads high and uh, better things are around the corner with this team. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.